Uh, we're going to continue a little bit further today on this, this subject of hope, and I, I can't help but be aware that, that these uh, recent graduates are in our presence this morning, and there may be some others of you who have graduated uh, from a uh, college or from a postgraduate degree of some sort, and congratulations to all of you. There'll be some of what will be referenced this morning that I'll have a little bit. I hope of um, things to say about your future. You're, you're doing what you're doing uh, for the purpose of impact. We, we, Shirley and I were having uh, dinner last night at a restaurant, and as we were walking across the parking lot and up to the front door, I noticed on the on the back of a car um, a bumper sticker, and and this is this is this is what it said: "I teach, therefore." I rule. I teach, therefore I rule. The goal of any and every profession, more than likely, or you as an individual, is that I want, I want my life to count for something. I want, want there to be an impact of my life. I, I was um, reminded this this last week of, a, of, of an old essay, comment from an old essay. You, some of you may be familiar with this. It's written um, by Dr. James Francis in 1926. Uh, that's before most of us were, were, were here, I suppose. But he is, it's um, entitled One Solitary Life. I want to read some of this. Um, a child is born in an obscure village, he writes. He's brought up in another obscure village. He works in a carpenter shop until he's 30, and then for three brief years is an itinerant preacher, proclaiming a message and living a life. He never writes a book. He never holds an office. He never raises an army. He never has a family of his own. He never owns a home. He never goes to college. He never travels 200 miles from the place where he is born. He gathers a little group of friends about him and teaches them his way of life. While still a young man, the tide of popular feeling turns against him. One denies him, another betrays him. He's turned over to his enemies. He goes through the mockery of a trial. He's nailed to a cross between two thieves. And when dead, is laid in a borrowed grave by the kindness of a friend. Those are the facts of his human life. He rises from the dead. Today we look back across 1900 years and ask, what kind of trail has he left across the centuries? When we try to sum up his influence, all the armies that ever marched, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned are absolutely trivial in their influence on mankind compared with that of this one solitary life. The impact of a life with focus is our direction this morning. Hope for a life with impact, but the impact of a life with focus. You can go out in your backyard and turn on your faucet, and as it turns on at high speed, it'll just splatter that water all over everything. You can turn the faucet off and hook a hose up to it, a garden hose up to it, turn it back on, walk over to the end of that hose and point it in the direction of some dirt. Dirt will turn to mud, and if you hold it there long enough, it'll, it'll dig out a pretty good wash hole right there. Turn the water off and screw into the end of the hose just a little tight nozzle, narrowing the stream of water down into a much more refined focus. 
and you can take the end of that hose or that nozzle on it and look up there about 15 feet on the side of your house where there's a great big old yellow jacket nest about that big. You're gonna have enough velocity and you're gonna have enough strength probably to reach that yellow jacket nest and drop the hose and run before the yellow jackets figure out where it came from. You can turn the hose off, go into your garage and pull out a power sprayer, hook that up to the nozzle, to the hook the nozzle up to the back of the power sprayer, sprayer turn it on, crank the power sprayer, squeeze the trigger and point the nozzle of the power sprayer at concrete and you can clean concrete and you can even walk over to the side of your vehicle and you can point that nozzle at the side of your vehicle and if you are not careful you will peel the paint off the side of your vehicle. Do I have a witness? It's all about focus. Velocity increases as focus is narrowed. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he came with remarkable focus. Surprising effects of a focused life. Now, I want you to find John chapter 1 with me in your Bible, the Gospel of John chapter 1, and I want to read a few verses at the beginning of this chapter. It begins this way, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. In other words, another way to translate that is before there was a beginning, there was the Word. The Word is a synonym for Jesus Christ, a code name for Jesus Christ, Logos, the Word. Some have taken that to mean it is an expression of the intelligence of God, the Logos. Before the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. To, to mistake Jesus Christ as just a man, as just a teacher, as just a good example, is a catastrophic mistake. He was not just a man. Your scripture says Jesus was God, and that he predates everything that had a beginning, seen and unseen. He was with God in the beginning. He was in the beginning with God, verse 2, all things, I want you to really look into this with me, sit with this for a minute, all things came into being by him, by means of him, through the agency of him, all things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, established in the Bible, is the fact that Jesus Christ was the agent of creation. That there was nothing fashioned, nothing formed out of nothing that turned into something that Jesus Christ himself personally with his words did not form. It's saying that Jesus Christ clearly existed in his full form with God before he ever emptied himself of all the divine attributes and became a baby in Mary's lap. That was not when Jesus just came into being. He predates the beginning of all things, according to the Scripture. 
Now, you, you find that repeated, folks, lest we think that's some kind of a minor point in the New Testament, minor point in the understanding of who Jesus is. That exact same theme is repeated in the first chapter of Colossians. It's repeated again in the first chapter of Hebrews. Jesus, the express image of God through whom he created the world. Okay, now just, just because I want to make sure we get this, I want you to turn in your Bible out of the New Testament and go all the way to the first page of the first chapter of the book of Genesis. And I want to start there, just, just for a little bit, to make a point. Genesis 1.1 says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in the light of what we just read, which name for God can we legitimately insert into Genesis 1.1? Huh? Say a little louder. Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Now, can you see how important it is to Satan, how important it is to the world system that he controls to so minimize the name Jesus that we forget or we don't even consider who he really is. When you read this and you drive, it, it, it's, it, it's why Paul would say, it is Christ in you that is your hope of glory. Christ, Jesus Christ, no longer a man, no longer dying or dead, no longer in the tomb but raised up out of the grave, reinvested with everything he had with God before he came to be a baby in Mary's womb. And it is that Christ that fully invested Jesus who comes to live in the spirit, in the heart of those who receive him as Savior and Lord. And that's why Paul would say, it is Christ in you. It is the creator Christ in you that is your hope of glory. I'm telling you, there's, there's, there's weight to the read now. Keep going down through. Now, especially if, if you're, as, you, as you guys are headed into education, your pursuit of education, and there's a, there's a variety of, of uh, opportunities and options that, that you're pursuing, these graduates, and and, and But I, I think something is said about every one of those pursuits as we keep reading here, if you'll follow, follow my thought. Stay with me just a little bit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3, then God said, then Jesus said, let there be light. Looking out into darkness, there had never been light before. Jesus looks at the darkness, speaks into the darkness, and says, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse. In the midst of the waters, let it separate the waters from the waters, and God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse, hang on to this, from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven or the heavens, and there was evening and morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, 
and the gathering of the waters he calls seas. And God saw that it was good. I just, I just can't, I can't, I can't not insert this right here. Don't you reckon that on that night or on those nights when the seas, the Sea of Galilee, that little lake compared to the vast oceans of the earth, when those waves began to threaten the safety of the boat, that when Jesus just stood up and said to water he had seen before, to water he had commanded before, be still. That they minded him, the molecules of water that didn't exist in any form until they were commanded to form water and to separate and to divide. Don't you just expect that the molecules of water were going to obey the Creator who had fashioned them in His likeness? God said, let the earth, let the earth sprout vegetation, verse 11, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. Evening and morning, a third day. Then God said, verse 14, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. That, that's, that's galaxies. That's all fashions of luminaries in the universe. Let there be lights. Not just light, but lights. And God made, verse 16, God made the two great lights. The greater light to govern the day, lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also, and God placed them. Could we just insert the name that is dearer to us? Could we just go ahead and insert the name of the lover of your soul? Could I just go ahead and put in there in that verse the name that is above every other name, the name Jesus. And Jesus placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind and God saw that it was good and God blessed them and Jesus blessed them saying be fruitful and multiply just like he took the five loaves and the two fish, broke them, blessed them, and multiplied them. He is no stranger to this kind of creative ingenuity, properly understood, wholeheartedly accepted by the faithful. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things 
and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. The creator of the universe, the creator of everything that is. But Jesus had to make a choice, folks. He couldn't teach on everything that he was an expert in by virtue of creation. He was going to have to communicate some things to finite beings, you and me, instead of ones with infinite intelligentsia and the ability to logically process facts and figures and formula and logic. He was dealing with people. Now, I just couldn't help but make a list of a few things that Jesus had to say no to that he could have chosen to lecture on. Because he was the creator of the universe, not in theory, but in actuality, he could have, if he chose to, led seminars on physics, astronomy, nuclear power, solar energy. He was the originator of all of the above. He could have chosen when he came to this planet to focus on conveying to the human race these matters of information. Now, as I go through these things, and I'm pointing out to you, these are not the things Jesus chose to give himself to, which he could have. That is not to say there is no value in gaining an education and understanding in those areas. It's just to say that as far as Jesus was concerned, in terms of ultimate things, in terms of ultimate happiness for the human race, these matters that he could have given himself to were not nearly as important as what he chose to give himself to. We'll talk about that in a minute. To say that, however, is not to say that learning in these areas is not important. And I want to say to you, I personally have a humble opinion that I believe is absolutely right, that God is able to empower lovers of him and believers in him to be the smartest, sharpest, most insightful scientists, most insightful geologists, most, insight, most insightful animal husbandry people. Because he's the one who came up with all of that in the first place. And when we can't figure something out in a category that is an important knowledge and understanding and cause and effect and how to connect the dots if you know him because he knows you and he's alive inside you. It stands to reason that we have the right to ask for a staff meeting, a one-on-one with the creator. Lord, what were you thinking when you created armadillos and you created you know, termites and yellow jackets and 
how, how do I fit these things together and the problem that I'm trying to sort through and work through? Show me, show me, show me, show me, show me. Well, back to the concern at hand. The creator of the universe, he could have held seminars on physics, astronomy, nuclear power, solar energy. As a creator of the earth, he could have held courses, classes on geology, which is the science that deals with the history of the earth, primarily looking at the age of rocks. <laughs> he was around when the rocks got formed. He was the one who said, let there be a rock, and there was a rock. He could have come and taught geology. He could have come and taught meteorology, separate, separate, clouds, firmament in between, how the weather systems work, how they were set up. He, he, could have, he could have come to teach that. He could have come to teach engineering, how you go engineer all of these parts, all of these moving parts to work together and it not be total chaos. How brilliant must he have been and must he still be to fashion this world and its systems and all of the skeptics that for all their brilliance have nothing other than this formula to come up with the order of this universe. And it is time plus chance equals everything in order. How smart is that? Not very. Just give it a little more time and hope for a little more chances and it's all going to work out. Let me tell you something. You got to have way more faith to believe in time plus chance than to believe that there is a God of order, a God who creates, a God who has a purpose, who God is carrying, who is accomplishing his purpose in human history and in creation. So, just a personal opinion there. The earth, geology, meteorology, engineering. It, it, as the creator of plant and animal life, he could have come and set up whole courses on chemistry, on botany, the study of plant life, on biology, the study of animal life. Since he, he came up with the idea of, of, tr of trees to have in them the capacity to reproduce by having seed within them, he, he could have come and set up whole colleges on agriculture, on horticulture, on all things animal science, on all things earth science, if he wanted to, because he came up with it. It was his idea. Because he was the creator of man, he could have spent his time focusing on medical science medicines and cures that come from medicines and surgeries and therapies. He could have spent his time on psychology, trying to handle the psychoses of the human race. He could have taught on political science because he watched it. He watched what was happening in the formation of various types of governance in the civilizations. He could have taught on history because he was there when it was all happening. But what did he focus on? You see, it's not how many things, and we get this example from it, it's not, it's not how many different things that we can do. It's what two or three things you do your best in and you're willing to do them consistently throughout your life that drives the greatest impact of your life. All of these things and many more Jesus could have focused on, but notice what he focused on. And I want to say this to us. We will have our wrapper, our professional wrappers, our, our way to put milk on the refrigerator wrappers. We will have the things that, that will engage parts of our brain and parts of our, our physical activity that, that may be consistent with some of these other things that we were listing here to, to help 
people to, to fix physical problems. But at the core of all of that, what Jesus did, how he focused, what he determined to be known for are examples for us. It's the direction for us, regardless of whether we're a scientist, a geologist of some sort, a homemaker, or someone with a small business, those things that are, that, that are important and making a difference in the natural world. But what did Jesus focus on? I want you to stay with me for just a, just a little bit longer. You go to the end of, of chapter 1, John. We're back in John. John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the Word became flesh. The Word became. That, that's a word that specifically means it existed before, but it became something it had never been before. The Word, preexistent, became something, became flesh, because it had never been flesh before, never been a human body before. And we beheld His glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth, full of Who? Who? Jesus, full of grace and truth. Look at verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The invisible spirit being God and all that he is. No man has seen God at any time. Only the begotten God, Jesus, who's in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. When Jesus came to this earth, his goal was to explain God. To explain the invisible and otherwise unknowable God. How did he do it? What did he focus on? Those two words. He gave himself to the best of his ability, empowered by the Spirit, for the duration of his life, those three years, to the focus on grace and truth. Grace meaning benefits, helps that are not deserved that cannot be earned, kindness that is not an automatic reciprocal reflex, kindness when kindness isn't deserved, mercy when mercy isn't deserved, grace to respond with a grace-filled, gracious way, and truth. The word for truth there is the, is the prominent New Testament word translated in English, truth. And it, it, it carries with it the, the idea that there is nothing just form about it. It's all about the real essence, the actual substance of what the reality is. Truth, truth, and grace. Now turn over a page or two. Find chapter 4, John chapter 4. Here's how this gets fleshed out. One example in the life of Jesus. His focus, his focus, his focus. When he could have done many other things in this setting, but his focus is grace and truth. And the surprising effects of the focus. John chapter 4, verse 3, Jesus left Judea, departed again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, middle of the day, broad daylight, not early, not late, middle of the day. There came a woman of Samaria 
to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water, springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I'll not be thirsty nor have to come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You, shall wor you worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews, out from the Jews, not just for the Jews, but will come to the Jews and flow out. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. She leaves and she goes and, and, and she finds the men because she could talk, I guess, more readily with the men than the women given her lot in life. And so they all come out and they meet Jesus and he speaks to them of the things that he was speaking to her about. Verse 39, and from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I've done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's back it up. I don't know exactly what parallel to draw with the geographic, ethnic area called Samaria in this time of Jesus. But it was a place that was the home for a group of people that were considered by the Jewish people half-breeds, sellouts to their race, ones who could not be trusted in any area of involvement. 
whether it would be religiously or whether it would be financially. Samaria was the, was the section of, of the Holy Land in that day and time that if you could avoid having to go through Samaria and you were a Jew, you, you just avoided it. There was a prejudice as thick as anything that could be imagined against the Jews. And as a result, from the Samaritans back to the Jews. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Jesus could have lectured the woman, could have told the woman how you can get more water out of this well. What the geological structure is of all of the layers of possible ways to drill down and get more water out of here. He could have talked to her about all kinds of different things. But the one thing that he spoke the most to her about was that which was the deepest cry of her heart. She was guilty. She was living in shame. She couldn't even convene with normal people or regular wives and women. She is an outcast. She comes by herself in the middle of the day because she can't handle what would be coming at her from those she might run into. And who does she meet? The most holy man who ever walked the face of the earth. God dressed in skin, dressed in a human body. And what does God say back to her? What's his countenance? What does he express to her? He respects her. He honors her. He could could have ignored her. She could have come. He could have just turned the other way. But it was the grace inside him that drew him to initiate a conversation with this woman of six different men. Beyond that, he goes on to offer to her, a Samaritan and a Samaritan woman, to offer to her the very same gift that he would offer to the Jewish people who would believe through Paul to the Gentiles and other parts of the world in the days to come. It's as if he's saying, there is no difference between a Samaritan and a Jew in the sight of God in terms of the love of God, the willingness of God to forgive, the desire of God for relationship and friendship. But then he spoke truth to her. You got, you got these men, you got this man problem. But it's fascinating that he was saying to her, he didn't didn't change his offer of living water, which is the life of the Spirit coming to live within her, which one day would happen. Day of Pentecost, the Spirit poured out. This river of living water flowing up out of the church, out of the bride of Christ, hours today, he was speaking to her that she could have it. He didn't withdraw that promise. He didn't withdraw that offer. Because he knew the depth of her life, the depth of her sin. He knew the truth about her life, but he knew the truth about God's heart for sinners. That I've come out of heaven, he would say to old Zacchaeus, to seek and to save that which was lost. She was a Samaritan, she was a woman. And a woman with a jaded past. For Jesus to extend this grace and this truth in that direction, it says to every one of us, folks, listen, it says to us, not for one split second should we tolerate in our hearts a prejudicial attitude toward another ethnicity, toward another part of town, toward the haves versus the have-nots. You don't know their hearts. 
I don't know their hearts. But as far as God is concerned, the grace of God reaches out to the ones that may be, may seem to be just by virtue of their connection with others, seem to be ones we don't want to have anything to do with. That was this woman. That was Jesus with this woman. He, he risked his disciples walking away from him. You need to understand that. For him, for them to come back from being in town to get the groceries and come back and see him sitting there and talking with a woman in the middle of the day, they would know there's something wrong with her. But then it's a Samaritan of all things, and it's a woman. He risked their displeasure for the purpose of the grace of God reaching out to her. The people you work with that others shun, the people you're around at school, the people we're around in our neighborhoods, the people we're around in the shopping carts passing each other at H-E-B aisle across the, the road of the gas station. It could be the way I was raised, the way I was bred. I don't have anything to do with that. I don't have anything to do with that. I don't have anything to do with that. That's not the grace of God talking. That's something else talking. Grace and truth. You may not get any attaboys from the culture by stepping across the line ethnically, racially, prejudicially, of whatever form it is. But let me tell you something. The world may be silent. They may even be caustic. But heaven says, that's my child. Well done. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. There will be no treating of ones differently on the basis of birth. All the same in the heart of God. The folks, listen. When this spirit of Jesus comes to live inside you and we pray, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit, expect that these are going to be expressions coming out of you. Grace and the truth about the heart of God. That he doesn't play favorites. He's not a fickle father. He loves his children. Takes the same kind of blood of Jesus to wash my sins as it does anybody else's sins. You and I need to know that. And the joy, the joy of getting in that flow. Professionally, you do what you do. But if the Lord had known that electricity was going to be the answer to all men's and women's problems in their pursuit of happiness, he'd have created a windmill or something back yonder when he came along. But electricity doesn't bring the joy and the results of electricity. Knowledge alone, regardless of how expansive, it's still puny compared to the God of the universe who just said it and it happened. And we can think we're so smart because we're finally able to get into some level of his understanding. The height of arrogance. But he gave himself to that which he knew to be since he created man and woman in his own image for his own pleasure. He knew what it would take to awaken and restore joy in our lives and a sense of hope for the future and peace. In the absence of shame, he knew we were going to be guilty. He knows we're going to be guilty. So he addresses the situation before we're ever born. Christ dies for us. Slain, the scripture says, before the foundation of the world. Because he knew all he would have to hope to have a relationship with would be sinners, not any perfect person. 
The only perfect person who ever lived took the sins of the imperfect upon himself and died to pay the price so that they could be free, you could be free, I could be free. That we could enter into a relationship with the God of grace and the God of truth. Amen? You all with me? So, so back, back to that focus. Back to the working end of that power sprayer. That nozzle has the ability to, 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 cut, to cut cement, to peel paint, that kind of focus. But instead of it being destruction, it's good. It's good. It's the power of God for good flowing through your life. Just as it was the power of God with focus flowing through the life of Jesus. His grace, his truth. Jesus would spend time, and you, you want to really make Jesus mad? You, you put him in the, in the context of a group of religious people, Bible-quoting people, who were using the Scripture, who were using the Bible to create a false, harsh, hard view of Abba Father. And Jesus would wade into that. But that the world may know, he would say, John 14, 33, but the world may know that I love my Father. And as the Father has given me commandment, even so I do. I love him so much that I'll step into discussions that are necessary to expose the false views of who God really is. I want to tell you folks, please, please, if you're struggling with who God is, you're struggling with whether or not he could love you, forgive you, whether you really would want to commit your life to him, read the life of Jesus. On your own, by yourself, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Become familiar with his conversations, familiar with his acts, familiar with his reactions, familiar with his heart. And I'm telling you, you will so want to be involved in a relationship with that kind of God that nothing else can even really compete with the loyalty of your heart when we really understand what's coming at us from Him. Grace, truth. One last thing I want to say. In Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon will say, bind these things around your heart to a young man he's writing to. You bind kindness and you bind truth around your heart, for then you will find favor with both God and man. If you want to impress those in authority over you, you show yourself, you prove yourself in the life that you live, in the workplace, in the classroom, in the street, in the you, you show yourself to be someone who has a kindness about And someone who will tell the truth, represent the truth, stand for right, even if it costs. Folks, I know I sound like a broken record on this, but it's not rocket scientists when companies who have proven themselves and organizations who have, who have done well and have been around for a while, when they pick leadership, it's not the roll of the dice. They are looking for specific things. And they are looking for ones, I can tell you, Proverbs 3 is exactly the truth. They are looking for folks who are team players, who are not into it just themselves, who have a kindness about them. 
They care about people. People matter to you. You'll take the extra step to show kindness and mercy and interest in someone instead of just being lost in yourself. Those who have authority to give away don't want to give authority away to just someone who is consumed with themselves because they know that's not going to be a problem solver. That's going to be a problem for us to have to solve. But then that they can count on you to be on the right side of truth. Ask your question, you'll answer. They give you an assignment, you'll do it. Or do your best to do it. You bind kindness, bind grace and truth around your heart. And you will find favor with both God and with man. That's how it works. That's how it works. Hope for a life with impact. The surprising effects of a focused life. Out of all the things that Jesus could have done, out of all the things that you might have an opinion on or might want to say or might think about or might want to do, what is it that in following him, his example for us, the fruit of what he did, bearing rich fruit in our lives from the testimonies given all these centuries later, grace and truth, impact, impact, impact. If you have somebody that comes up in your mind as I talk about these things who expressed grace slash kindness slash mercy to you in a time when you really needed it. You'd never felt so alone. You'd never felt so overwhelmed. You'd never felt so broken. But somebody graced you. Somebody helped you believe about you that it wasn't all over for you. I want to ask you, if they're still alive, if they hadn't gone to heaven yet, call them, email them, Text them, go see them, but let them hear it from you. Your grace impacted my life. The fact that you spoke truth to me, that you represented the heart of God, the true heart of God to me, whatever it would be, but truth, truth came from you to me in a place I needed it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, you sent them to us. They were messengers from you. They were tangible, audible expressions of your heart at a time we needed it so much, so badly. Lord, I pray that you'll just work out opportunities for those thank yous to be extended. And then, Lord, I pray that you will grant within us by the power of your Spirit the ability to go and do likewise. That we won't be so busy that we walk by, walk by, just ignore our woman at the well or the Zacchaeus in the tree or the child in suffering greatly and the parent deeply distressed. Thank you that you've given us something to give away. We have something to give. In the name of Jesus, I'm praying for you. In the name of Jesus, I bless you.
in the name of Jesus, I say to you, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Oh, Lord, use our lips. Use our hands. Use our feet to glorify your name, Lord, in these days we live. In Jesus' name, amen.